You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Markley straight ahead with a big hole. And running through is Saquon Barkley. And he's going in for a Giants touchdown. 78 yards. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. How you doing, Grump? From the frozen tundra of New York City. It's not even winter yet, and I'm already freezing my ass off. You know, it's funny. I was th- I was thinking about, you know, how we went to the snow game. We're pretty lucky we didn't have to go to the squall game. Could you imagine? Okay. <laughs> you know, it did, it did probably for about 20 to 30 minutes during the snow game. Snow, moderately hard. But yeah. what happened yesterday, for, for those of you who don't live in the, the New York City area, we had something – Everybody's iPhone at work went off at about four o'clock saying there was a squall warning and everybody had to Google what a squall actually is. It's just a very thin band of a microburst of heavy, heavy snow. And it was like intense wind. Yeah, it was like an eclipse came through because at one moment it was pretty sunny out. And then all of a sudden it got super dark and it snowed like a blizzard. Like my office is two blocks from the Empire State Building, and within three minutes, I couldn't see the building anymore. It was crazy. And then a half hour later, it was back. Yeah, I was driving when it happened. Oh, God. Uh, so it was, a, it was a total whiteout scenario so that I could only see the flashing lights of the hazards in front of me only. I, I was literally going five miles an hour on Route 80, and that's not an exaggeration, five miles. And I was like... All right, I can handle this. And then I realized I can't see it. I could be driving off a cliff right now. I have no idea which way the road goes. So it was it was absolute craziness. And to think if we had paid money to go sit in seats and not be able to see five feet in front of our face, that would be <laughs> – aside from being pelted with snow. It doesn't sound like it's that, that unappealing of an effort with watching with this giant team this year. <laughs> well, in any case, um, whatever shit weather is – headed for a Sunday um, will not affect you and I. We are not traveling to Landover. We are actually going to be at the uh, family Christmas party. So it is tradition. (laughs) It is tradition for the Giants to lose this game in some kind of embarrassing fashion. Yeah, Um, you all all remember the Deshaun Jackson game. Well, we were together when that happened. And probably the maddest any family member other than my wife, the lovely and talented SF Mad, has ever seen me Ever. I stomped out of that place and I had to do laps around that neighbor because I was so fucking pissed. But I think the theme of today's show, Grump, is the fact that I am not going to be pissed if we lose this game. And we'll get into the reasons why very shortly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I don't think it's any reason to get pissed anymore. And, and there is a there is a um, a real tiebreaker scenario here because somebody is going to break the tie. Um, and this is a division rival. And we are talking about a player probably that um, will be transformative. And, you know, when you look at when you look at the Washington Redskins and the Giants, they're both teams in disarray. Um, they both have their quarterback of the future, they think. At this time, there's no reason to think otherwise. They both have 
left tackle needs. They both have edge rusher needs. I mean, well, there's let's a very see, let's, similar let's talent start, situation. Let's start at the very top. They both do not have their coach of the future. I mean, the Redskins have an interim sure. coach for the last several weeks. The Giants, you know, I'm not a betting man. Well, I am a betting man, and I'm going to say that Pat Shermer will not be returning. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them have general managers, you know, in different scenarios that may not be back next year. I mean, how long has uh, Bruce Allen been with them now? A decade? Ten years? How quickly can you burn down a city? Yeah, I believe he's been around for ten years where, you know, the heat is on Dave Gettleman and we've, you know, listened to any of our previous shows and how we have a defense for keeping him, not necessarily a defense of him, but a defense of keeping him. So there are two teams that are very similarly just rudderless ships right now that need major rehaul. It's it's really quite astounding. Um you mentioned Bill Callahan as the interim head coach, by the way. Uh, very good offensive mind. And uh, there, I've seen some mutterings that they, they do not have any intention of keeping him. Uh, the Giants should definitely take a look at him and see what he's what he's worth. Not as a head coach, but as one of the assistants. And we've mentioned that, you know, we think Pat Shermer's gone. But one way or another, we think a, some some assistants are probably on their way out as well. Yeah, I mean, if if we're assuming that Shermer's gone, I don't even want to think about assistant coaches until we have a head coach in place. I mean, the last thing we well, want mean, to do there there is one one spot has to be the offensive line coach. I mean, it's an it's probably the second most important assistant coach spot, other than quarterback coach. I would say I would, it might even be more important than that. Position coach, you're talking. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and then and then I put probably secondary coach the third. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, but you know that's just an interesting tidbit that kind of ties into this conversation of how how closely tied these two teams are, um, mm-hmm. and and you know they will be fighting for either a chase chase young or Andrew Thomas or I mean you know. It, I don't like doing this. You know, I don't like having this conversation about the draft in regards to specific players right now. Um, oh, yeah. And dra- I agree. And, and it's one thing when it's a quarterback because, you know, it's very obvious signs about who has it, who doesn't have it. And it's such a position of need that it's like you need to take this guy. You're picking first overall. You know what I mean? That's that's like sort of a debate. But anything after that, I don't like – you know, I, I – I've made this argument before, but it's the Jalen Smith argument. You know, any player can shred their knee in 16 different ways if they have any games left to play. They can hurt themselves in warm-ups, you know, training for the scouting combine. There's a million things that can go wrong. So I don't like jockeying for position for a specific player unless it's that quarterback, and neither one of these teams are doing that. But the fact remains... The fact remains that Chase Young and Andrew Thomas are the uh, the blue chip players here, and they both fill positions needs for both teams. So if a team covets one more than the other, then um, what happens on Sunday has a tremendous impact on that. And I, as I've been saying on this show all along too, I, I don't look at specific players if I'm the two slot versus the six slot. To me, it's options. You know, it's I get to take who I want. I want I want to have as much control of my situation as possible. And you never know. 
There may be some maniac GM out there who decides I have to get uh, Chase Young. I need him, and I'm going to offer you two number ones this year and a number one next year to move up to that spot. You know, it's it, it's a situation if you are drafting fifth or sixth, you're not going to have that opportunity to take advantage of someone's desperateness or just win a thing like that. So to me, it's I'm looking right now at the slot. I'm not necessarily caring about, you know, we'll get into once everybody's declared who's going to go early and all this and that and how combines go, then we'll start. We'll spend all spring talking about that. But for me right now, I'm thinking more about the slot. And I'm also thinking about it in terms of I am head to head right now with a division foe for that slot. And, and the way these, you know, you know, these teams are so bunched up in the badness, you know, slot, like who's, you know, Cincinnati's most likely to be number one now, right? I mean, it's, they're in, they're in really good shape for it, but two, three, congratulations, Cincinnati, but two to six can go either way, you know, and depending on how these things have up and yeah, you know, obviously the players and the coaching staff are not trying to lose on purpose. You know, they, and yes, I want to see as I'm watching Sunday, I want to see, you know, if Daniel Jones is back, continued development. I want to see continued development out of, uh, uh, Baker. I want to see more out of Slayton. I want to see more out of everybody on this team. And that's what I'm looking for, for my wins. But I've just decided this week that, you know, I'm fine with them losing and, once it's all over and they did lose, I'm probably going to do a little silent little fist bump to myself about it. And it doesn't make me any less than a giant fan. Does it make me a bandwagoner or a traitor or anything? It's just, you know, a, a moral victory of winning a meaningless week 16 game against yes, a division rival, but another one it's in such shambles. Is it really, you know, you can't even go to some guy from Washington and make fun of him. It's like, well, we all suck. I mean, it's one thing if they were, we were both good teams and it's like, yeah, we beat you assholes. But I am just, I'm all about long picture. I'm so emotionally detached from the week to week goings on with this team for this year that to me, it's all about the future. And I don't want them to specifically tank, but I'm also, you know, probably going to be relieved if we do lose. Yeah. I agree. Um, I don't think I can ever watch a game and and you know cheer every time we screw up and the other team scores. It's just not in me. I won't um, be doing that either. Let me make that very clear to everybody. I will during the game in the heat of the battle. I'm going to want to win. I mean, I'm going to be. You know, we're going to do our little sack dance if uh, we ever get a sack. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a touchdown will be nice and all that, and we'll. But again. You mentioned last week that it bothers you when we lose, and it usually bothers me when we lose too, but it hasn't happened in the last couple of weeks for me. And this week, I'm actually going to be like relieved if we lose. Or, I know it's a weird situation to be in as a fan, but, you know, desperate times require desperate emotions. <laughs> this is what we are. Yeah, I think I get your sentiment. Um, it, it's it's a unique position to be in. I kind of just like want it to be over. I want this season to be over, and I want to have the the, the bottom half of the draft order set. I I just I'm over this shit. I I've seen what I need to see. I know what what 
needs to be addressed with this team. I want to hurry up and get to the head coaching hire process. You know what I mean? These games mean nothing. I gain nothing but a smile on my face when we win, and that that is it. Just a smile, like yeah, all right, feels good. Yeah, like even like but, even last week, you know, we got a win, we blew out a bad team, and I I had a smile for the Eli story. And if it wasn't, yeah. and if Eli wasn't playing, let's say Daniel Jones was out, Eli for whatever reason was inactive, and Alex Tanny won this game, I'd kind of probably walk out of there like, well, that's kind of stupid. But we yeah. we did we walked out of the Meadowlands getting back on the train, and we both were kind of like, all right, good for him. Yeah, yeah, good for him. It felt but, good. I mean, again, we went over this the whole last episode. There was more to it than Eli. What we saw was progression from people. It wasn't – the win felt good. It put a smile on my face. But what we ended up talking about for that whole episode was how good Beal and Baker played and how yeah. Saquon Barkley looked this, looked like Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard looked good. You know what I mean? That's the kind of shit like if we – the outcome puts either a smile or a frown on my face – from this point on. But if they do it in a way where they just get dominated, I'm like, Jesus, maybe we're worse than I thought. That's going to affect me really deeply versus if I can still feel hope like, oh, we just we lost to a better team. So what sucks about this game and what's going to make it difficult is that we're playing a team that I think that we're better than even right now. Um, and it, it's just going to hurt to lose to a team that I know we're better than. If we we're playing the Patriots this week, I could walk away with like, well, they played really good. It's just the Patriots are a playoff team and we're not. And I could walk away from that, you know, we got the loss and, uh, you know, everybody looked pretty good. We're just not there yet. We're, we're probably getting a new head coach. I feel good about this team even though we lost. This is not going to be that scenario. So it's going to be tough for me to 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 watch. And, and uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm completely – I'm completely removed from it at this point because we have beat, we have lost to teams this year that I feel if we were better coached and we were in a little better just situation, I think we yeah. we are better then, you know. Yeah. If if you give us a really competent coaching staff and we're not playing a a rookie quarterback and you know if if Barkley isn't hurt and you know all these different things, a full complement of receivers. Are we a better team than Detroit? Are we a better team than some of these other scrubs that we lost to? I, yeah. I think so. So well, certainly Arizona and Arizona, yeah. So uh, to me, it's you know, and again, we're now at week fifteen. Again, where I've just been numbed by it, and you know, it's no longer kind of anybody's job on the line anymore. I think the decisions have already been made, um, especially about the coaching staff, where. You're right. We we just want to get it over with now, and it sucks that almost a quarter of the season is left, a little less, and we're just trying to get to the finish line. But that's what happens when you suck. <laughs> I mean, and you're in this in this spot. You're right. What? Um, what? One thing yeah. I want to ask you before we before we go on is, I've noticed there's been a lot of you know the media has been kind of getting on the, you know, we all think that Shermer's getting fired, but. Everybody's doing their kind of uh, their deliberations about Gettleman, whether not so much whether he should go or shouldn't go, but the arguments for getting rid of him versus the arguments for keeping him. And it seems like it's pretty much split among the media for their reason for the people thinking that he should probably stay and the ones who think he should probably go. 
Um, have you? What has your take been by, you know, interacting with the fans on Twitter and just kind of what you've been reading? What, where do you feel the overall mindset is of everybody? Which we know is not the same as what, you know, Mar and Tish, Tish are thinking, but. Um, I think a lot of the people who want to see him go see heavy mistakes, specifically in free agency, um, and and acquiring players like. But but I think I think they're misevaluating it. So like a lot of people point to things like the Jonathan Stewart contract, uh, Curtis Riley, Antoine Bethea, um, you know, trading for Alec Ogletree. You know all these all these guys that we don't really you know paying Nate Solder a lot of money, but we've we've long debated on this show that most of those moves were out of desperation. You know, th- this is flipping a roster. We're up against cap space. A lot of what he had to do in the first two years was clear cap. Um, so, like, I think that most of that's misevaluation. I mean, you can. He does deserve fair criticism for certain things. I mean, the Jonathan Stewart contract. I I don't see that that was really necessary. Um, he wasn't really a necessary addition to the team in any sort of sense. He he didn't even look like an NFL player at any point. And he had a fairly sizable contract. Um, you know, I I wasn't a massive fan of the uh, Patrick Omame free agency, but they built an out into it. Uh, the biggest thing, it was a very recent maneuver, was trading for Leonard Williams, you know, right on the cusp of free agency for him. Um, and that, you know, giving up a third-round pick for him is uh you know question marks yeah but you know so there, so there is some people, fair criticism to dish out but but people are also making that out like it was the Herschel Walker trade too i mean a third round pick is one thing it's not like we gave away two first rounders and you know a first rounder next year either i mean i think i think there was a a roll of the dice that someone if you know if he kind of got his shit together and liked it and had it, we had first rights to re-sign him again it would have worked out and it, you know, if everybody also thinks like, you know, he's just going to sign somewhere for big money and everything, it's like, where's his production now, and who's paying the big money for him? I mean, it, it's not a lock. It's not a lock that this guy all of a sudden is a marquee free agent that somebody's going to overspend for. I mean, I, I, I think if anything, he's hurting his open market value. That it might be something he's the market's coming back to the Giants and they will resign him. I mean, it's. It, this has been like a seven or eight week audition, a live audition for you know the, the coaching staff, or it might be a waste of time because this coaching staff may be swept away by the time it's time to talk about contracts. So I don't know. Um, I think people are making too much about it. You know, losing losing a third round pick is not going to set this you know set this team back five years. Yeah. I, I think on its own, the Leonard Williams thing is one of those things you can be like, ah, eh, that was that's not a great move right there. But when you couple it with all the misevaluations of everything else, you know, oh, they gave Nate Solder a historic contract, they paid Odell and then traded him, and you know, they traded for Alec Ogletree when he was like the third highest paid inside linebacker, and you know, all this all this stuff. When you when you take those misevaluations and you add that in there, it looks like a sizable you know con list for keeping him, I guess. Um, yeah. But I think when you really truly evaluate what needed to be done to make this into a competent team, you can kind of scratch off like almost all of those. 
again, there there were some small contracts given out to some players that didn't pan out, right? I mean, it's like low low risk, high reward. If if Curtis Riley it was a hidden gem from another team's practice squad, he signed him to like no fucking money. So if he ends up sucking, all right, so your safety position sucks. It is what it is. We'll address it. You know, we'll we'll put real resources into addressing it. And so they went out and they trade for Jabril Peppers. You know, it's it, it's not those kinds of moves are not knocks on him. I mean, this is what the state of that roster was at that time. So I think that the value that the the analysis for saying that he's a bad GM that that should be fired or hasn't done a good enough job or hasn't. Whatever. I, I think it's just bad analysis. And I don't think that any GM could have come in here with the cap situation and roster situation we had and done much else. I mean, this is this is this roster now is so different from what he took over. Yeah, and that's not saying it's necessarily a better one. It's now a more maneuverable one than it was before. Yes. I mean that that that's the big thing. And I think the bigger thing you have to evaluate with Gettleman is that has he put this team in the in the two years he's been at the helm in a position now that they can afford to get you know reasonable contracts and build this team you know or do we are we in the position now where we can rely on draft picks to be the core of this team and we weren't two years ago so even to look at each individual move that was made in the context of well it's still a three win team that's not even the right prism to look at this team at right now. Not not yet. I think starting next year where you're going to have a quarterback in his second year, you know, you're going to see them really getting to dip their toe more into free agency and not free agents, not moves like they did four years ago to like chase the playoffs or one last grasp at the playoffs, but free agency more to build a team, a sustainable team for the next few years. Next year, you know, then it's very, very reasonable to say the plan is in year three. What are we doing? But I, I still think it's too early. They have they have some real money to spend on guys and give out contracts, sort of like the contract that was given to Golden Tate. You know, a three, four year deal to a guy probably younger than Golden Tate. But I mean, I just need you know high money. You know building block guy, part of the team for the next three to four years. Yeah. And they can do that to multiple guys. Moves that they're making now should be for guys that are going to be part of the core of something big. I think the moves you've seen in the last two years are stop gaps to get us out of the abyss. You know, the, the gaping hole that was the offensive line, you know, things like that. So you have to do something just to stop the bleeding. Well, we're past that now. And now is the time and I think all Giant fans should expect that, even the ones that are passionate defenders of Gettleman and, and this regime or whatever. It's like now we have to start putting guys into place that are not just stopgaps, but are, you know, if this team in three years is a conference uh, contender to win the conference and go to the Super Bowl, those building blocks should be being put into place now. Now, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I think I think if Gettleman is retained and we are, you know, four games into 2020 and we still haven't won a game, then it's, you know, what the hell is happening here? I mean, quite frankly, you know, I, we know what the stats are for a team going 0-3 and um, what their chances are making the playoffs are like very close to nothing. 
Um, well, I mean, I'm going to say this now, and we're recording this on December 19th, 2019. My expectation is this team is still not going to make the playoffs next year. True, I expect but to, I mean, they I should expect be. To see, I expect to see significant progress. I should, exp- I should finally be seeing what the identity of this team is going to be. Is this team going to be, you know, a a ball control, run the ball with Barkley, and you know, or are we going to see more of a fast paced offense on defense? Are we, you know, are we still even going to see the three four? Are they going to go back to a four three? Are we going to see more of a, you know, identity on defense? I expect to see those things in place next year. I again, I don't think it's asking a lot to turn over talent that quickly to make us into a playoff team, even in a bad division. So my they should be in the wild card hunt. You know what I mean? They I don't mean in week seventeen the wild card hunt, but I mean they should be in the conversation by like week fourteen. They should still be mathematically alive. I agree. I expect that much. Because I mean yeah. that now we're talking about six wins. You know, it, it's not it's not asking a whole lot. I mean, quite frankly, I'm, I'm they could talking, have had Yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking meaningless football on November first. Yeah. But I mean, realistically, there's there's mathematical and realistic. Yeah, and I I, I'm not saying that it's playoffs or bust. You know, it's just yeah. they should they should be in the conversation. They should be a threat. Yes. They should have a shot at the playoffs. And, 20, you know, 2021 is the year where I think – because, again, in 2021, that will be Daniel Jones's third year, yep. second and a half year as a starter. Uh, you know, we should – I am I, you know, a crystal ball. I can't tell you how much, but, like, I expect to see – majority different offensive line. You know, I expect to see the young secondary we have now coming into its own. I expect to have a coaching staff that is, you know, in year two. So they're firmly entrenched on what they want to do. So next year will be a year of transition, but you know, you go to year two where training camp isn't teaching guys things all over again. They're doing more. So I'm really, I'm targeting 2021 is when we're finally getting back into contention. And no, that doesn't mean contention for the Super Bowl. I'm talking about contending with Dallas and Philly to win this division. I think that's fair. So, you know, one of the other things that that I think – there's a smaller contingent of people, but there are people who don't really think that Dave Gettleman handled the top half of the draft very well. They don't like – that Saquon Barkley was taken second overall. They're still not on board with the Daniel Jones move or Dexter Lawrence for that matter or trading up for Baker. I mean, those are those are hefty investments. That's three first round picks, four first round picks that they don't agree with. And that's kind of fair if you don't agree with them. And that's kind of a perfect segue into this game. So one of the things we really get to watch is the growth of Daniel Jones as a player versus the growth of Dwayne Haskins as a player. Um, and that's, well, that's going to be interesting to me. That's a little bit of an apples and oranges, I think. Different a situations. Bit, yeah. I mean, Haskins may not have been as ready to play even from the day he was drafted that Daniel Jones is. Haskins has had two head coaches and two offensive coordinators in his seven or eight weeks he's been in the league. Well, so I mean, it's it's the same offense. They don't change offenses when they fire coaches. It's just 
Yeah, but it's still not. The, it's still thing. not the same. I mean, it, it's a it's a little bit of a shift in course, which you know is not the. Yeah, but we're not I, we're not talking about changing vocabulary and you know philosophy. It's the same thing, just dumbed down. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but it's, it's still different. So it's it's something yeah. different that you have to deal with. Um, you know, it's they're always going to be linked. These two yeah. quarterbacks, I think. You know. Same draft class, same division, you know, all of that, you know, the decision to draft Daniel Jones. And again, those guys who think it was a mistake to draft Barkley, draft Jones, they may be very well turn out right. I mean, hindsight always is twenty twenty, And the, the, the problem is right now that when you are – Daniel Jones has played 10 games in his career and – uh, Saquon Barkley has played 25 in his career with, you know, not with the best offensive lines possible and not ideal circumstances. It is way, way, way too early to definitively say I was right. I was wrong. And I will bet you if you took a poll of the 1000 people who think that all of those draft moves were a mistake and you ask them a follow-up question, were you in favor of Dave Gettleman being hired as the GM? I think you would see a definite correlation if they didn't like him to start with. Right. Which is funny because neither one of us did either. No. No. And, you know, I, I think the cost-cutting moves I saw had to be done. And I think, I think if you would have came in here and was just trying to continue the patchwork of chasing the playoffs. And I don't care what he said about Eli still has years in the tank. This team can still make a run, but that's all bullshit. We all know it is. So I'm not buying that, but because his actions spoke louder than words did. So him doing all those things gave me actually the confidence that he's going to make some unpopular, tough decisions that are going to help the long-term health of this team. Now, Will his rebuild work? Will he be the guy to do that? That is definitely to be determined. And you list out a bunch of cons for that, which may turn out true. Uh, it's just I, I can't – you can't make an evaluation. You know, If you want to make an evaluation back on the fact this team has three wins in year two, that's your prerogative. But I don't think it's an accurate overall judge of where this team is on its way to. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we won't get to see. I I, I really don't think we're going to get to see Landon Collins uh, this week. Um, you know that that was another highly criticized move, not resigning him, not retaining him. Um, he hasn't practiced yet this week with an Achilles injury, so that's that. But also not playing is Evan Ingram, who is moved to IR, and uh, I, I I think it's. I think I've made it known that I I really like Evan Ingram. He doesn't seem to be being utilized in a way that I think he can be effective. And uh, I wonder if that's a coaching thing, a GM thing, a both thing, because he was not selected by Dave Gettleman. And it, it's fair to wonder if his fifth-year option is going to be picked up or not. So, um, Especially because he does seem to be injured quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the... He wasn't a Gettleman pick applies more for the much bigger, important roles on a, in a team. 
This coach was not a Gettleman hire. This quarterback was not a Gettleman pick. I think when you start going down the line a little bit to receivers and mm-hmm. defensive backs, I don't think that, you know, that holds as much sway. I mean, you're talking 45 guys on a roster, you know, He's not going to have his guys in immediately. He's just not going to at any chance. They do understand the talent level of these guys and what their value is relative to you know what they're being paid based on their their abilities. So, um, is he being underutilized because of this coaching staff? Oh, it's very possible. I mean, yeah. we've seen a lot of things just make us scratch our head with this coaching staff be- between scheme, game plan, game calling, decision making. So. The fact that they're not utilizing him correctly—that's, that's not, uh, you know, that's nothing on Ingram, and maybe nothing on, on Gettleman as well. But uh, I think I think to tell. Yeah, and again, I think for what what, what is the cost to pick up the uh, the option? Well, it's not a a king's ransom. So, from that aspect alone, I think they'll uh, they'll pick it up. So if if yeah. that's the case, you know, a there's a possibility that this GM and coach won't be here to make that decision. <laughs> and B, I think again, for the value, I think it's, you have him on your roster and you, you know, you worry about it later because he's still, you know, if you're ranking the, the offensive weapons on this team, he's number three, right? Um... Behind Barkley and, I guess you want to say Daniel Jones is just as a quarterback, as a weapon. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's that's kind of funny. It 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 would have to be Barkley above him. I I think you can make an argument for uh, Sterling Shepard as well. Um, yeah, I know. I, I think about that sometimes about which one is a better, the fact be remains more valuable. That it's real close. Yeah. Um, I think if uh, up there. A healthy version that's utilized the proper way, I think, could be number two. Sure, I think so too. Yeah, he's a he's a mismatch problem. You know, he, he does a good job when he's out there, and but I, I, we haven't seen one hundred percent, you know, availability from him yet. So makes or, it hard or, to make or that evaluation. I mean, a lot yeah. of the, even even his big touchdown against Tampa Bay was like a crossing route that he just kind of. There was a bad angle taken, and he was able to outrun the one guy who was trailing him, and that's fine, and that can happen from time to time. But it's just seems more—I don't know. I'd just rather see him stretch the field instead of running across it. I, I think that yeah. really—that's that's the way. That's the mismatch opportunity. Mm-hmm. But we haven't really seen that. Nothing really over the top from him. Um. We've, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we both made the decision already that we figure that uh, nothing that happens in these next couple of games has any impact on the decisions of of the coaching staff or of the GM, right? We we both you know, we can beat Washington fifty to nothing. It doesn't really change the fate of Shermer. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, whether that I mean that fate may not be firing. I don't know for sure that he's getting fired. I'm pretty sure, but yeah, that's all right. I know for sure is I think that they have already made that decision. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and nothing they can do against a equally woeful team really makes that much of a 
you know. The thing is, though, usually when when they've decided already that they're keeping a coach, they make a public statement about it. They usually say, like, this guy is safe. Um, that certainly hasn't happened. That has not happened, and I think that's a, a pretty good indicator of where they're going. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess we can kind of just close with this because it's news and it's relevant to everything we're saying, but uh, – the Jacksonville Jaguars have officially parted ways with Mr. Tom Coughlin yesterday. I thought it was very interesting, the timing. Um, Tom Coughlin is the most important person in Jacksonville Jaguars history. Uh, you know, he was the head coach from the very beginning for a long time. He was there from, I guess they started in 95, 96, around then. Uh, took them took them to a conference championship game in their second year. You know they they were they were a pretty fun team. I was living in Florida at the time when uh, they made that conference championship run, and they were they were pretty exciting. You know Mark Brunel and Fred Taylor and you know all those guys. Tony Baselli was the uh, the left tackle, and um, it was a major deal when he came back a couple of years ago. So to kind of unceremoniously dump him, you know, in a week. 15 on a random Tuesday afternoon thought was a little rude, a little, just kind of like, you know, the Jaguars are just an organization. that just ultimately doesn't know what they want to be. And I think this owner doesn't know, really know what to do with them. You know, on the one hand, they're always flirting with the possibility of always playing in London and, you know, but at the same point, the owner is spending over a billion dollars to, redevelop the whole uh, waterfront area from the stadium by the uh, Maxwell house thing all the way to downtown. So it's, that's a major investment for a, for a guy who has no, you know, uh, no linkage to Jacksonville to be investing in. So, you know, again, so that's kind of a weird paradox and, you know, they, they've been firing coaches, you know, kind of regularly. They've been hiring nuts, you know, guys that are kind of sub, you know, suboptimal to be very kind. Their head coaches they've had. Um, drafting is all over the board, and I, I just don't know what what this franchise is, or what they want to be. Yeah, but I, I think Tom Coughlin kind of needed to go based on what happened. So to be to be clear, there were a lot of. Um, I guess player complaints to the union about, uh, I guess just uh, teams overreaching the collective bargaining agreement. And one of the more common things was forcing players to rehab at the team facility during the off season, I believe. And they were fining players for each time they missed a scheduled, not I guess not scheduled, but missed a rehab appointment, I guess. Um, so they would come to large chunks missing from their paychecks for you know off-season shit, and that's really not part of the CBA at all. But the I guess it was the NFLPA statement that pretty much ended with a line like you know specifically targeting the Jaguars, saying that they accounted for like a, a large number. I want to say like twenty-five percent or more of all player complaints 
came from that organization. And then the last line of the memo or whatever was, you know, to all players, you should consider things like this when you are signing with a new team. Basically telling them don't sign there. And, um, you know, just reading it sounded like a Tom Coughlin thing. You know, finding players for missing a rehab session. Um, And then it was like hours later that he was fired. Well, fair it enough. Was, it, I mean, it, it was but, basically incentivizing players to not sign with the Jaguars. Something had to happen. Do you think that makes any difference in a player's opinion if they get rid of Coughlin after the season's over and it's announced his retirement as opposed to making the stand right now, which we're talking CBA infractions. We're not talking, you know, anything to the level of, you know, Ray Rice or something. No, I don't think it makes a difference as a player. I don't know that they, I mean, they would have to like force him to resign, I guess. Well, I mean, it's not the same situation by any stretch, but Tom Coughlin left the Giants. He might have said he was retiring, but that wasn't a retirement. Well, but his contract was actually over at that time. Yeah. It's not like he was fired. He was simply not retained. Right. And that writing I mean, that, was sort of on the wall for weeks, you know, but we're we're getting into semantics with that a little bit, but Well what I'm saying is what I'm saying is I don't know what his contract situation is with the Jaguars. It mm-hmm. seems to me that if he was not at the end of his contract at the end of this year, then he would have to be either fired or he would have to voluntarily resign. Or right. you could kind of force him into it. But I mean that's just I don't know right. the logistics of that being that scenario of just him, oh, it's the end of the year and he's gone now, you know. Yeah, or they just kind of said something. It could have been a coordinated, a nego- negotiated between the Jaguars and Coughlin. How do we just make this go away with everybody saving face? And I just, you know, again, these CBA things, which, you know, we do we even know for a fact it was Coughlin. I mean, Doug Marone's a, a kind of a dick also. And we've never, you know, going back to issues with the Giants, I don't remember any complaints about things like that. I mean, maybe the CBA is a little different now and maybe the players are more pusses than they were back then. But, you know. Let's see. He was only a coach. The CBA was signed in 2011. Mm-hmm. So, and he was fired in 20... Yeah, he's winning a Super Bowl in 2011. Yeah, yeah, well, yes. But or, I mean, or, that, that or, wasn't really the first offseason because they were locked out. So that CBA wasn't signed until, like, the season started. Yeah, so but, a lot of really... things, but a lot of those things might have been uh, in the previous CBA. And maybe it's just something that... Uh, That's my point, yeah. Yeah, he's I mean... Been, uh, he was only a Giants coach for, like, four years under the current CBA. Right, but I'm saying is these complaints and what he did before might have been – the previous CBA might have had the same restrictions on some of these things and I don't oh, know. Yeah, true. Yeah. I, I, again, we don't even know if that was Coughlin involved or not responsible for – I guess he's sort of responsible since he was the, basically running the team and it's his, ultimately it flows up to him whether it's him actually – doing the finding or, you know, Marone was doing it, but he was in charge. So I guess he does take the, the hit for it. Yeah. It doesn't quite seem to me 
worthy of you need to get rid of this guy right now. I was very happy to see a lot of Giants Twitter unanimous in there. Man, I love Tom Coughlin, but don't even try and suggest him to be the head coach for this team. It, it's it's just it, it was relieving to me to not have to see a whole bunch of dummies. Maybe, maybe the podcast is working, huh? <laughs> well, I even went a step further and said, forget the coaching. I don't want him even in a advisory role if they decide to move on from Gettleman, much less be the new vice president in charge of football operations on this team. I mean, this is this is a whole different game than when he was at his winning Super Bowls. There's an there's an analytics revolution going on in this sport. You know, the, the, the much more of an offensive friendly game than when he was the coach. Everything is different than it was. So to me, you know, I need somebody who's a 21st century forward thinking person than someone who, you know, is from the past. And I don't mean past leather helmet, but the past what the 2000 decade was, which is a different game. And it's amazing how now, again, revisionist history, you can apply it to Eli Manning, you can apply it to Patrick Ewing, you can apply it to Tom Coughlin. Beloved. Last couple, last couple of years of his administration, I'm not sure the word beloved was used. But I'm not now, even sure that fans liked him at the beginning of 2007. I mean, he had alienated Michael Strahan to the point where he didn't even show up until week one. Um, that's right. And you know something? And I we didn't have a podcast back in 2007. But my thought back then was until the old guard of players on this team were gone, Coughlin and Eli would never own this team. And – Revisionist history, too, that Michael Strano, everybody loves. You know, the funny guys on Good Morning America and Fox and, you know, come on, third down, let me hear you. Prick when he was here. Very yeah. prickly. You know, he was a, you know. He was a bit he of a was diva. A, he was a bit of a diva. He was a, a definitely a force in the locker room and not, you know, the total teammate force in the locker room. So, you know, again, revisionist history. He's going to go down as you know, everybody loves him. But it was a different picture back then. So, like the mm -hmm. Coughlin era took a little bit of time to really get a hold when he ultimately had all of his guys playing, and Eli could ultimately be the leader when you have these big personalities. You know, Dickie Barber was a big a, a, a personality you had to deal with. Strahan was a guy. When those guys leave, then it becomes the quarterback is the true leader. Well. Predictions? Yeah, I, I mean, this is a, a better Redskins team than we fought in uh, week four. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think they suck. And um, <laughs> I think that this game is a little bit closer than playing the Dolphins, but I still think the Giants end up winning this one. And I think it's going to be something like, I don't know, let's say 20 to 17. 
Do we know, and we're taping this late on a Thursday night, do we know definitively if Daniel Jones is starting or not? Uh, we don't know definitively anything, but he has practiced without limitation. I'm going to go on, make an educated guess that he will be starting on Sunday. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to make another uneducated guess that I think that we are not going to win this game. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think, I, I, I just think that at some point, as you're getting close to the end of the season, I think the players know that there's a short shelf life left for this coaching staff. And I don't know how much they're really, really willing to play for him. You know, road game, they're out of it. It's over. They're not tanking, but I, I, I just see this as another. When you're a bad team, expecting to win two games in a row is very tough. And I think there's one or two more eggs to be laid by this team. And I think one happens next week or on this coming Sunday. So I'm going to say the giant offense is going to struggle. I think you're going to lose something like. 17-10. Well, you heard it here first. In the meantime, in between your Friday morning ride into work, listening to this, and your Sunday uh, 1 o'clock game, uh, you can follow us on Twitter for more updates and predictions and whatever else might change. I'm at football underscore grump, and the podcast itself is available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean, and SoundCloud, and all that stuff. It also has a Twitter at Just Giants Pod. You can catch me as always on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. You know, I got a lot to say. I got a lot of opinions about uh, early signing day that happened yesterday. So, um, you want to talk talk some uh, recruiting? I'm here for that. Of course, we'll talk about the Giants. If you if you think you have a different opinion than I do over the, you know, I'm not cheering for a win, but not cheering for a loss either type of thing. I'd love to hear your opinions on it. Um, not asking you to do the same. I'm telling you, that's just how I feel. So that is following me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. All right, everyone. We'll see you on Sunday. Go Giants. Go Giants.